If you would, please open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 38. We're going to take a break from our series in Galatians during Advent. While you're turning there to Genesis 38, have you noticed in your daily Bible readings, you come across these really long genealogies, right? You know, the the so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so. They're a little tedious at times. Dare I say, at times they might even seem a bit boring. But they actually serve a rich, rich purpose. I want you to consider this morning, um, and it's actually printed in in your worship folder if you don't want to turn there and try to keep your place in uh, two different sections, Matthew's genealogy in the first chapter. Just got the first six verses printed there. It's much longer. But the first six verses will give you a flavor of it. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abra- and, and again, this is the ESV, so it's not going to have your begats like the King James does. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amenadab, and Amenadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And it goes on. Now, why is this here? The key is to pay attention to the names that are included. Because when we pay attention, especially to Matthew's genealogy here, we'll notice uh, three unusual things. We won't get to them all today in today's sermon, but over the course of this series, based out of this genealogy in Matthew, we'll cover these three things. The first unusual thing that we see, the question that comes to mind is, why are these women listed here? Several women, four women, in fact, just in those six verses that I read. And that's not normal. Genealogies, especially in a very patriarchal society, are based on the men. It's based on the fathers. So-and-so was the father of so-and-so, the father of so-and-so. But we keep getting interjected here, the father of so-and-so by... Tamar, by Rahab, by Ruth. These women are mentioned. That's odd, and it should grab our attention. It's there for a purpose. And so over the course of Advent, four Sundays plus our Christmas Eve service, we'll look at Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba. And finally, we'll conclude with Mary on Christmas Eve. So that's the first unusual thing is the inclusion of these women, these mothers of Christ, if you will. It's the title of the sermon series. Second unusual thing is there's a lot of Gentiles mentioned in this lineage. This lineage that comes from Father Abraham, this lineage that comes from the Jewish king David, why so many Gentiles mentioned? Third unusual thing, y'all, there's a lot of sketchy stuff in this genealogy. There's a lot of people and situations that most folks would take some effort to not include. 
to, to even hide, certainly not to draw attention to, especially a story like today's story of Judah and Tamar. Why specifically mention that Tamar was the mother of Judah's children? Yikes. But Matthew's got his reasons. So we're going to pick up with the action already in progress in Genesis 38. We're going to save a few of the sordid details for time. And because I don't want my kids asking me awkward questions at lunch. So let me bring you up to speed. Judah, one of Jacob's 12 sons, has married a Canaanite. And together they have three sons. And the first son marries Tamar. But then he dies because he was wicked in God's sight. So then Judah gives his second son to Tamar because that's what you did back then. But he also is wicked and dies. And so Judah's got one son left. And that's where we pick up with the story this morning. It's a rather long passage. So so don't feel bashful about sitting if you need to. But if you're able, I'd like to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Genesis chapter 38, and I'll be reading verses 11 through 26. This is God's Word. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, that's the third son, till Shelah, my son, grows up. For he feared, literally he said to himself, that he would die like his brother's. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers, he and his friend Hira the Adulamite. And when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, you have to understand he wasn't just going to shear sheep. This is a big festive occasion with lots of sheep shearing, but also lots of libation and, and other things. So when Tamar was told your father-in-law is going to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up and sat at the entrance to Enaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown up, and she had not been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and said, come, let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, what will you give me that you may come into me? He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, if you give me a pledge until you send it. He said, what pledge shall I give you? She replied, your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away. And taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adulamite, to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, where is the cult prostitute who was at Anaim at the roadside? And they said, no cult prostitute has been here. So we returned to Judah and said, I've not found her. Also, the men of the place said, no cult prostitute has been here. And Judah replied, let her keep the things as her own. Or we shall be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat, and you did not find her. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. 
Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son Shelah. And he did not know her again. It's times like these that we bank on the fact that this is God's word and it is inspired. (laughs) It is inerrant. It is infallible. And it is authoritative. Let's pray for the help that we need. Oh, Father, would you come in these moments and would you help us make sense of this sordid tale and of why you included it in Scripture and of why Matthew pointed our attention to it in the genealogy of our Savior. Would you help us understand who Jesus is? Would you help us understand why Jesus has come, even from this tale that we have before us this morning? We ask all these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Please have a seat. So two things I want us to do this morning. The first, and you've got these in your outline there, the first is to to look generally at what this genealogy does for us. And I think that if we pay attention, it does give us a better picture of who Jesus really is. So I always look forward to Advent and I look forward to the Christmas season because at no other time in the year do you have so many people around you thinking about and talking about Jesus. Right? Everywhere you turn, right? There's Christmas pageants and there's Christmas nativities that are set up and there's children's play dates and get togethers to have birthday parties for Jesus and and all these wonderful things. But very often, the Jesus that these things are celebrating, the Jesus of popular culture, bears very little resemblance to the Jesus of Scripture. The Jesus who is so popular is often the Jesus who is sanitized and tame and unoffensive and undemanding. He's more like a lucky rabbit's foot ready to bless us, especially those of us who remember to keep Christ in Christmas, right? He's ready to bless folks just like that. And so every year I look forward to this set-aside opportunity to reveal from Scripture once again who the real Jesus is. The real Jesus, the not sanitized for your protection Jesus, the not tame but wild Jesus who is so very different from all of our preconceived notions. The Jesus who in fact does offend us, who places demands on us, who disrupts our lives and turns them upside down See, the truth is, there's nothing about Jesus, as revealed in Scripture, that jives with our expectations. Everything about him is unexpected. The way he came, what he did while he was here, even these unsavory characters in his family tree. 
everything about his coming was shockingly humble and lowly, right? He humbled himself. Paul said he made himself nothing. See, if we wrote the story, we would have placed him at the long line, at the end of a long line of very, very important and noble, well-behaved folks. We would have given him a situation from which he could derive glory, a family tree that would make him glorious. But he doesn't actually need us to help make him glorious. In and of himself, only of himself, he is glorious. He is the glorious, uncreated one. And his glory comes not from those who came before, but from the fact that he is both the Son of God and the Son of Man, that he is fully divine, that he's one with the Father. He's the creator and sustainer of all, and also fully human. Tempted in every way like we've been tempted, yet without sin. He is full of glory. And having these sketchy folks in his family tree, far from lessening his glory or tainting it in some way, gives us the backdrop upon which his glory is unmistakably on display for all to see, even in the case of this sordid, Jerry Springer-worthy tale that we have with Judah and Tamar. So if the genealogy as a whole helps us to see who Jesus really is, I think this story in particular So this is point two on your outline. I think this story in particular gives us a better picture of what Jesus came to rescue us from. And to even mention rescue, there's yet another thing that kind of needs correcting, does it not? Of of why Jesus came in the first place. Because the popular notion of why Jesus came often has to do with us having a more successful life or, or a happier life or to help us be the best possible version of ourselves. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came to be our Savior. He came to save. He came to rescue. And Matthew, including Judah and Tamar in Christ's lineage, shows us many many things that Jesus came to rescue us from. And so you've got a list there. Number one, sin and rebellion. Jesus came to rescue us from sin and rebellion. We see this so very clearly in Judah's life. So if you know Judah's story, you know that he is the fourth born of Jacob's 12 sons. You know that he was complicit in the selling of one of his brothers into slavery. On the heels of that, earlier in chapter 38, you would have found out that he goes on to marry a Canaanite. After he sells his brother into slavery, he goes and he marries a Canaanite, a foreigner who worships other gods, a marriage strictly forbidden by God in no uncertain terms. So the pattern of Judah's life is on a trajectory away from God. 
He's living in rebellion and disobedience, in callous disregard to God and his commands. Now, if we were reading Genesis as a whole, just kind of start to finish, this would be all the more obvious to you. Because chapter 38 comes as a bit of a disruption. 37, we're in the middle of Joseph's story. We're learning about Joseph. But then, wait, all of a sudden, now we're talking about Judah in chapter 38. And then 39, we'll go back to Joseph. So why is this interjected here? I think it's for a reason. Joseph, though his brothers had done him so very wrong in horrible situation, is doing his best to trust and to follow God. Now, he's not perfect. He's got his own issues. But he's at least making a valiant attempt to keep to the straight and narrow. And I think that's exactly why Judah's story gets interjected here. Lest we think that it's just for the good boys like Joseph who are trying and doing a decent job of keeping to the straight and narrow, that that's who Jesus is really for. Jesus is for those who's trying to dot I's and cross T's, trying to live the best possible life that they can. No, we've got Judah thrown in here. We've got someone who's failing miserably at keeping to the straight and narrow, doesn't even seem to be on his radar, doesn't even seem to be what he wants to do in the first place. And so we've got this story thrown in for a reason. If that's you this morning, if the trajectory of your life is away from God, if it can be characterized by a callous disregard for God rather than trying to keep to the straight and narrow, guess what? You're exactly who Jesus came for. You can't be too far gone. Your life can't already be too full of mistakes and failures. See, Jesus came to rescue sinners. He came to rescue rebels. Second thing we see here is fear. Jesus came to rescue us from fear. If Look at verse 11. So sons one and two have mysteriously died after marrying Tamar. Judah doesn't have to be a rocket scientist to connect the dots. Clearly, it's got something to do with this woman, right? And so he's afraid. He feared. He feared. Literally, he was talking to himself. If I give Sheila to Tamar, you know, he's, it'll be three in a row. So he's afraid. He had his fears. Tamar's got fears of her own, and we'll get to those soon enough. But these fears control their lives. These fears cause them to do foolish and immoral things. These are the fears that Jesus came to rescue us from. What fears, what fears are gripping you even this morning? What fears have taken control 
of your life. Jesus stands ready to rescue you from them. Closely related to Judah's fear, number three, is his ignorance. It's his ignorance that leads to his fear. See, he thinks he's got it all figured out. He thinks that Tamar is to blame for the death of his two boys. Just seems to be the logical conclusion. It seems to be where the dots are connecting and leading to. But the text is very clear. If we were to back up both into verse 7 and verse 10, those boys died because they were evil in God's sight. God took their lives from them because they were wicked. And they deserved to die. It wasn't Tamar's fault. But aren't we often like that? We think we've got it all figured out. We, we've, we've jumped to the conclusions of how life is working or how we think it should work, only later to say, oh, is that what was going on? Thankfully, our rescue is not dependent upon us having it all figured out. Now, So that's enough on Judah for a bit. Let's turn our attention to Tamar. Still in verse 11. See, Judah's trying to figure out, okay, I've got one boy left. How can I keep him alive? And so he uses the child's age. Apparently he's a little bit younger still. And so he uses his age as a stall tactic to buy some more time. And he tells Tamar, all right, remain a widow until Sheila's old enough to get married. Go back to your dad's house and wait. Stay there. So the fourth thing that we see Jesus rescuing us from is our desperate situations. Tamar is stuck. She's in a terrible situation. And I don't know if you, if you get this when you think, if you're thinking in a 21st century culture and mindset. But for the time that she was in and the culture she was in, so she's a woman, so there's strike one. She's a widow, so that's strike two, and she's betrothed, she's committed, she's obligated to marry a man, Sheila, who she isn't being allowed to marry. See, she married into Judah's family. She now had an obligation to him. He could rightfully say, Go back to your father's house and wait until your marriage to my third son. And she is stuck. What a hopeless situation. She's got no legal rights, no recourse. There's absolutely nothing she can do to make her situation better. And so closely related to the desperate situations that Jesus rescues us from is number five, the injustice that he rescues us from. So sometimes life is just hard, and there's not necessarily anyone to blame on it. But in Tamar's case, there very much is someone to blame. She's a victim of Judah's sinfulness. So, so this concept of, of marrying your brother's your deceased brother's wife. In the Bible, it's called leveret marriage. 
We don't yet have, remember we're before Moses, we're before the, the giving of the official law, so we don't have this codified yet in official law, but it's very clearly already a deeply ingrained and accepted part of life. It's an expectation. You know, life depends on something like leveret marriage because survival of families back then couldn't be taken for granted like it is today. If you took it for granted, your family would cease to exist. They needed this concept to keep families going. And so it might be a strange custom to us. Might have no desire to marry your sister-in-law. But it was necessity back then, and Judah knew that. And he knew he was violating that principle. See, Jesus came to rescue us from hopeless, desperate, and even victimized situations. Some of you might hear me say that, though, and you're thinking, well, that's all well and good, but I'm not in a desperate, hopeless situation. Not the victim of anything. I don't think this really applies to me. But the truth is, for all of us, there's no worse victimization. There's no more dire or desperate situation than of being a slave to both sin and death. It doesn't get any more desperate than that, and that is what we all are. That is the reason that Christ came. To free us from the bondage that our rebellion has earned, To free us from the end, which is death, that our rebellion will certainly lead to. Jesus came to rescue us. Victims in desperate situations. Number six. There's an error on on your outline here. See the hypocrisy in parentheses? That actually goes with the next point that I forgot to include. So we'll get to that. So just scratch it or move it down. Number six, he rescues us from our self-sufficiency. So Tamar's in this hopeless situation with no way out, or so it would seem. Boy, does she ever come up with a plan. I mean, come on. And so here's the the conflict that I found myself in all week. I just want to cheer for her. And that's pretty awesome what she comes up with. What she pulls off. That's, uh, wow, that's some nerve she's got there. How she turns the tables on the bad guy. And I want to cheer for her, but at the end of the day, At the end of the day, what she does is evil. It's wicked. And and, and we can't allow ourselves to slip into the end justifying the means. 
And, and what she does flows out of her self-sufficiency. See, none of us probably, hopefully, has concocted such an elaborate ruse like Tamar did. If you did, we probably need some counseling sessions. Um, But every single one of us operates out of and lives out of our self-sufficiency. Of coming to the place where we say, you know what? I've got no one to look out for me. I've got no one to provide for me. I've got no one to protect me. I've got to look out for myself. And it's such a trap. It is such a trap of thinking that we need to or somehow can fix our situations. You know, if I just try hard enough, if I'm smart enough, if I'm creative enough to to figure a workaround to this problem that I've got, if I'm good enough. But the Bible is oh so very clear that all such efforts fall way short. We are not sufficient in ourselves to get ourselves out of the most desperate situation. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. And so, child of God, once he has done that for you, once he has remedied and resolved and rescued you from your most desperate situation, freeing you from the bondage of sin and death, how will he not also, along with that, show up at every other desperate situation you face? Why do we keep reverting back to ourselves? Jesus came to rescue us from our self-sufficiency. So one final thing that I'll bring to your attention that Jesus comes to rescue us from, and it's the thing missing on your outline. So if you'll add in there at the bottom, self-righteousness. And that's what the hypocrisy in parenthesis goes with. So you see the story continue to unfold. Tamar's plan is quite successful. And so Judah finds out, verse 24, that his daughter-in-law has been immoral and she is pregnant by that immorality. And so Judah's immediate response is, burn her. Burn her. Which is an even more harsh end than has customarily been called for and that would be codified later in Mosaic law, which would have been stoning. He says, no, burn her. Wow. So, so this is the same Judah from just a few verses ago who just went to the sheep shearing festivities soon after the death of his wife and decided to comfort himself with a harlot. At least he thought he was comforting himself with a harlot. And then he hears of his daughter-in-law's evil and immediately 
right, so, so here's the hypocritical part. Here's, here's the self-righteousness. And the deep, deep irony here, which just highlights how ignorant Judah is, how foolish he is. He's the reason Tamar decided to result to such evil. He's the reason she's pregnant. And if he hadn't been unfaithful to his promise to give his son in marriage to her, and if he hadn't been seeking out this illicit activity, but see, that's what happens to us. We are blinded to our own failures and sin. And oh, so quick to point the finger at others. And it's exactly the kind of thing that Jesus comes to rescue us from. It's quite a list. So many things that he rescues us from. We're never too far gone. We're never too bad or out of his reach. Let me point you to one last thing in closing. See, Tamar does conceive. And she does give birth. Not to a son, but to sons. Twins. She keeps Judah's line Going, she keeps the line of Christ going. Ay, ay, ay. How do you factor that in? Right? Despite Judah's unjust, unfaithful actions, despite her own wicked scheme, she conceives and gives birth to twins, one of whom is in the lineage of of Christ. There are two sets of twins recorded in the Bible, right? Here in this passage, verses 27 through 30, I think that's printed in the folder for you. We have Perez and Zerah. The other set of twins would be their grandfather and great uncle. Yes, I think that's right. Jacob and Esau. And in each of these instances of twins, something strange happens so that the right of the firstborn, deeply, deeply ingrained in culture and society, the right of the firstborn is somehow strangely usurped by the secondborn. In both cases, Now, this is either a random, strange coincidence or it's the sovereign hand of God accomplishing His purposes, controlling circumstances, achieving His desired end. And that's a good way to close out this passage. with a good reminder that nothing stands in God's way. Nothing keeps God from accomplishing all that He intends. 
Not the unfaithful injustice of a fearful, ignorant, lustful man. Not the wicked self-sufficiency of a victimized widow. Not my sin, not your sin, can stand in God's way. He's big enough and mighty enough to enfold it into His plan. To work in it, through it, and despite it. In fact, that's how our Messiah was born. In, through, and despite the sinfulness of man. Because frankly, that's all God had to work with. (laughs) And that's how we have our Messiah, our Savior, and our Rescuer. Let's pray. Oh, Father, this Advent season, from your word, from unlikely places in your word, would you give us a glimpse of of who Jesus is and what he's come to rescue us from? Would you cause us to love him more and to depend on him more fully? We pray in his name and for his sake. Amen.